Welcome to Park Valley Church's Sermon of the Week. It doesn't matter if you have been a Christ follower for years or new to the Christian faith, you have come to the right place. Listen in as one of our campus pastors shares how to apply biblical truth in a tangible way. As you listen, we pray you have an encounter with Jesus that leads to real and lasting life change. Good morning. Everybody thaw out from your walk in the parking lot. It got cold quick. Hey, so uh, last week I mentioned that we're going to spend this month of January focusing on our DNA, the DNA of Park Valley Church. And we started by focusing on the key component, the most vital building block of our DNA, Jesus Christ. So this week we're going to talk about worship. And I know that last week's message was, it was kind of a heavy one. So I thought I'd kind of lighten the mood this week, and I would sing this message instead of preach it. No, I'm not going to do that. Nobody wants to hear that. Part of you were looking for your phones to video what was ever about to happen. The other part were looking for the door, so I I don't blame you. Um, But, you know, I'm going to guess that when I say worship, the first thought most of you had is probably music and singing. You know, you maybe, maybe you thought about a worship style, more traditional versus contemporary. Some of you thought about hymnals and choirs and organs, and others were thinking about drums and guitars and fog machines. A few were probably thinking about volume. You know, the, the conflict between traditional and contemporary camps has been called the worship wars. Because worship can be a divisive issue in the church. Worship music has really become a focus for a lot of churches. Some studies have shown that a good music program is often more important to people than the sermon. And if you're wondering what the number one concern is, it's parking, just in case that was something. But, you know, I think folks put an emphasis on worship because it's the more fun and upbeat and entertaining part of Sunday. The sermon isn't. It's the boring part. And it reminds me of a, there was a mom who who drives her son, young son, to school every morning. And this, this little guy is particularly talkative in the morning. He's pondering life's mysteries. He's sharing his opinions. And one morning, out of the blue, he says, he asks his mom, he says, well, what's the highest number that you've ever counted to? And after thinking about it for a second, she said that she couldn't really remember ever counting just to count. So she asked her son, you know, have you ever counted just to count? And he said, sure, all the time. Now she's a little curious, and she says, so what's the highest number you've ever counted to? And without missing a beat, he says, 8,397. Now mom's a little impressed, not just with how high this number is, but also that he remembered it very specifically. So she said, you know, how do you remember that number so well? And he says, well, that's easy. That's when the preacher stopped talking. So... You can tell me how high you've counted after the service. But you know what? Nobody's counting during worship. Worship, it's, it's an important 
part of Sunday. It's an important theme throughout the Bible. It's mentioned over 400 times throughout the Scripture. So it's important to talk about it, but I'm not going to start Worship Wars 2. We're not going to talk about worship styles. We're not going to debate hymnals or electric guitars. Instead, I, I want to I clarify two misconceptions about worship and then talk about what worship looks like. That first misconception is that worship is all about the music. The second is that it's all about us. Now, don't get me wrong, right? Worship is definitely about music and singing. Look at these two psalms from David. The first is Psalm 100, verse 2. He says, Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy. And then in Psalm 105, verse 2, he says, Sing to him. Yes, sing his praises. Tell everyone about his wonderful deeds. Music is part of worship. The misconception is that worship is only about the music. The, the word worship actually comes from an old English word, worthship. I feel like I have to say that slow just so I don't mess that up. Say some words I shouldn't say in church. Worthship. And that means to give worth to, or to hold something in high esteem. It, it means to attribute ultimate worth to something. In a biblical context, it refers to holding something with such reverence and honor and esteem and glory that your only desire is to bow down before it. And the Ten Commandments tell us that thou shalt have no other gods before me. Worthship can only be directed at God because he alone is of ultimate worth. Now, you can show that with music, and you can show it with song. But worship also includes prayer. It includes praise and thanksgiving. It includes preaching and teaching and growing in the knowledge of God's Word. We tend to focus a lot on just the music. And, you know, I, I don't know if American Idol is still a thing. I honestly didn't even bother to, to look. But I think the show has had an interesting impact on how we approach, approach worship. You know, it's made us, and by us I mean me too, it's made us all expert judges of worship services. We judge everything from the song selections to the volume, the lighting, you know, even to the vocalists, what they were wearing and their vocal performance. Now we start saying things like, it was a little pitchy. It was a little off-key, like we're Simon Cowell or something. Or maybe you're more of a Randy Jackson. It's a no for me, dog. Now you have to go way back for the American Idol for that one. But, you know, obviously we're all entitled to our musical preferences, right? But the second misconception is that worship is about what I want or what I prefer. Worship isn't about me. It isn't about you. It's not about what you get. It's about what you give. You aren't the recipient of worship. God is. Worship is 
acknowledging who God is, acknowledging what God does and what he has done to God himself with an attitude of praise. Have you ever, have you ever said or thought, I didn't really enjoy the worship this morning? Or the worship really didn't do it for me? I mean, I'll be honest, I know I have. But in a sense, what we're really saying is, I didn't enjoy acknowledging God this morning. And I know that's not what I meant when I said that, and I'm sure it's not what you meant. But when we're more focused on how worship affects us rather than how it affects the one we're worshiping, then we've made ourselves the object of worship. You know, it's easy to get sidetracked. It's easy to lose our focus. And when we do, it's easy to see Sunday as just a time for socializing and fellowshipping. And don't get me wrong, those things are great. I mean, in fact, I think those things are necessary to a healthy church body. But they are not the primary reason that we've come together. The focus of our worship, the object of our worship, is God and God alone. In Luke 4.8, Jesus says this, he says, The scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Worship is reserved for God. There's no asterisk. There's no fine print. There's no room for discussion. It's cut and dry. Worship God and serve only him. In 1 Chronicles 16.25, it says, The Lord is great and deserves our greatest praise. He is the only God worthy of our worship. Worthship. God is the only one worthy of our worship. And we have to be careful that we don't put more worth into something else. If God is of ultimate worth, then other people or things or activities, these things in our lives have to take the back seat. It's not the other way around. God doesn't take the back seat to them. Because look at Exodus 34, 14. You must worship no other gods, for the Lord, whose very name is Jealous, is a God who is jealous about his relationship with you. Now, God is not jealous in the sense that he is envious of something that someone has something that he wants or something that he needs. God doesn't need anything, but what he wants is our worship. And what he is jealous of is what belongs to him. Worship and service belong to him. And they are to be given to him alone. God will not compete with anything for our devotion, for our, our service. And he doesn't have to. The commands of, of Scripture make it really clear that there can be only one object of our worship. Worship no other gods. Put no gods before me. Worship the Lord and serve only him. These commands show us that we have an obligation to worship. 
In fact, it's our purpose. It's why we were created. We were made to worship God. Isaiah 43, 7, Bring all who claim me as their God, for I have made them for my glory. It was I who created them. God created us, and he created us with a purpose, because the creator determines the purpose of the creation. We were created for God's glory. We were created to worship him. Psalm 95, 6 says, Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. We owe humble worship to God because he made us. Worship is an obligation that the creature owes to the creator. And in that verse from Isaiah, it says, All who claim me as their God. That means believers, the redeemed. Christians have at least two great reasons to humbly worship God. First, because he is our maker. And second, because he is our redeemer. We owe worship to God because we belong to him in creation and in redemption. And worship should be the natural response for being saved from our sins, for being given the gift of eternal life. Revelation 4.11, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, since you created all things, and because of your will, they existed and were created. God is the creator and the sustainer of everything, meaning that he alone is worthy of glory, honor, power, praise, and worship. Worship is a mandate of Scripture. It's, a, it's an act that gives honor to the one who deserves honor. But it also fosters this spirit of obedience among the worshipers. Because worship is not something that is consumed. Worship is something that is offered. It's directed to God, not to us. Our entertainment is not the goal. We're kind of like, um, like waiters at a restaurant. It doesn't matter if we personally like the way the food is seasoned. What matters is the attitude with which we present it to the one we're serving. But what does it look like to offer our worship? Singing is part of it, but so is praising God, so is giving thanks to God, not just for what he's done, but for who he is. How often do we worship? Is it just for Sundays? Is it just for church? Romans 12.1, Paul said, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. 
This is truly the way to worship him. A living sacrifice. Now, that sounds like an oxymoron. You know, two words that when you put them together seem to contradict one another, like jumbo shrimp, or extended deadline, or a favorite from my army days, military intelligence. It's just a joke for any of the intel guys. It's just a joke. I was infantry, so you could say I wasn't smart enough for intel. Uh, But, you know, being a living sacrifice is really about, it's a daily commitment to, to put aside our own desires and to follow him. It's putting all of our energy and all of our resources into worshiping God out of gratitude for all he has done for us, the forgiveness of our sins. Worship, it's an action, but it's also a lifestyle. It's a life that's spent serving and glorifying God and reflecting his glory to others. Biblical worship involves praising God and giving him glory with not just our lips, but also with our lives, with our words, and with our deeds. Hebrews 13, 15, Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. Coming together on Sunday to worship corporately, to worship together, should be the culmination of what we've been doing all week. It's the exclamation point on a week of individual worship. Worship isn't just for Sundays, and it's not just for church. Every day and every place is an opportunity to worship. In John 4.23, Jesus says, But the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. The time is now. Jesus shared this with the Samaritan woman at the well, and he was saying that worship, true worship, isn't focused on things or places, but instead on spirit and truth. Worshiping in in spirit is having a heart that pursues an intimate relationship with God. And worshiping in truth is to worship in a biblically accurate way through the one who is not only the truth, but also the way and the life. Worshiping in spirit and truth isn't just for church on Sunday. Because worship is not a one-time act that's done in a certain religious location or on a certain religious day. Worship is a way of life. Charles Spurgeon said that all places are places of worship to a Christian. Wherever he is, he ought to be in a worshiping frame of mind. Every day, everything we do is an opportunity to give glory to God. 
And we are to worship him all day, every day, with our thoughts, with our words, with our actions. We give God the only thing he wants, ourselves. We give him our worship. 1 Corinthians 10.31 is probably a verse you've heard before. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Everything we do, whether it's significant or mundane, ought to be done with the sole intention of bringing glory to God. It's all about him. It always has been. It always will be. And I know that that is easier said than done. I get it. Because I struggle with my thoughts and my words and my actions. Making sure that they reflect worshiping my creator and my redeemer. I also know that we were never promised that the way would be easy. In fact, we were told the opposite. But we were promised strength and we were promised a helper that's part of the plan in Romans 11:36 the bible says for everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory all glory to him forever amen in the king james version that verse says of him and through him and to him are all things. It's of him. It's all God's plan. And it can only happen through him. Through the work of Jesus on our behalf. The work that brings us salvation. And finally, it's all to him. God is the only one who deserves glory. He's the only one who deserves praise. And the only one who deserves our worship. And when Paul says amen at the end of that verse, he's saying, that's it. That's what amen means. It means so be it. It means there's nothing else to add. Or in the words of the great theologian Forrest Gump, that's all I'm going to say about that. Worship is an important part of our DNA here at PVC. But it has nothing to do with the worship style or the songs we sing. It has everything to do with the one we are worshiping. It's not about us because we don't receive worship, we give it. In his book, My Utmost for His Highest, Oswald Chambers says this, he says, worship is giving God the best that he has given you. Would you guys bow your heads and close your eyes? You know, we have nothing of worth to give to God in worship except ourselves. It's really our ultimate sacrifice, giving God back the very life that he gave to us. It's our purpose. It's the reason we were created. You know, we just read that verse in Romans where it says it's all of him, through him, and to him. Because that's God's plan. And the plan is the gospel. 
The gospel is the good news that God became man in Jesus Christ. He lived the life that we should have lived, and he died the the death that we should have died in our place. Three days later, he rose from the dead, proving that he is not only the Son of God, but also to offer us the gift of salvation to those that would repent and believe in him. And if you believe that, then why don't you tell him? Right where you sit, you can whisper this simple prayer. You just say, dear Lord, I I know that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. That he rose again on the third day. And I believe he did it for me. This morning, Lord, I repent of my sins. And by faith, I receive Jesus as my Savior. You promised to save me, Lord, and I believe you. I believe that Jesus is my personal Savior and that my sins are forgiven because of his blood shed on the cross. And I thank you, Lord, for saving me. I thank you for loving me enough to send Jesus. If you prayed that prayer this morning, if you believe, if you accepted Christ this morning, would you just let me know and raise a hand? Once you put it up, you can put it down. Father God, I just thank you for today. I thank you for those hands that went up, Lord, and I just pray for those. I pray for each and every one of us. I pray that each of us will worship you, not just with our voices, but also with our actions. Lord, I pray that our worship isn't confined to 20 minutes on a Sunday morning, but that instead worship will fill our lives every day. Lord, I pray that as we as we give you glory, that we will turn the hearts of those around us to you as well. Lord, we just thank you for your love. Thank you for your blessings. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our Sermon of the Week. If you accepted Christ, want to accept Christ, or just want to see what Park Valley Church is about, you can email us at info at parkvalleychurch.com. Have a great week and we'll see you next time.